Shalawan, and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And before we get started, we always have to give praise to the Most High, our Creator, and His Son, who died for us so that we may have a chance at eternal life. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington, my dad, and we are the Science of the Covenant. We want to remind you this Wednesday, Again, this Wednesday, the September 28th, this Wednesday, September the 28th, is the Feast of Trumpets. Come celebrate with us at 1 p.m. and at 7 p.m. This Wednesday, September the 28th, at 1 p.m. and 7 p.m., we will be celebrating the Feast of Trumpets. We look forward to you joining us. As you know, we just wrapped up last week the series on the... Ah, slipped my mind. What was this series? What was the series we just wrapped up? We were dealing with the, uh, let me see, the, uh, we were concerning uh, the sign. Uh, let me see. Oh, the science of the seed. That's right. Yeah, the science of the seed. Last week, we just wrapped up to the science of the seed. It was a 13-part series. Uh, only three of them are available on YouTube. But the rest of the series are well available on our podcast. So if you haven't listened to that series, we encourage you to listen to it because it's very enlightening. The pastor brought out quite a few things you may not have known. Now we're about to get into the destiny of disobedience. This, this is a new series the pastor is giving to us. And we want you to tune in to each and every parts because each and every part builds on each week. So, Pastor, I'm going to turn it over to you as you said you're delivering us today the uh, destiny of disobedience. Yes, we want to look at that. What we, what we determined to do is uh, we want to look at the destiny of disobedience. And what we're attempting to do is to look at it from a historical perspective and then we want to bring it up to today where we are today. And as we analyze some of the things that has gone on, because we know that the scriptures teaches that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the coming of the son of man. And Yeshua also said, remember Lot, remember Lot's wife. And so it's got a lot of historical data that is going to repeat itself out in the end of time. So what we're looking at is basically not only do we have historical disobedience, but in the end of time, we will also have uh, what we call uh, present, uh, present disobedience as well. So as we look at this, then we can see if we can order our lives that they can be obedient rather than disobedient in these last days because a lot of disobedience will be manifested. But to the children of Elohim, we want to be able to be in compliance and obedience to his word. So with that being said, let us have a word of prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you for the blessings that you have given us. There were some of us who were sick, and you raised up off of the sick bed, Lord, to give them life. We pray and ask, Lord, that thou would continue to guide and direct them 
that they can preserve the life the best they can in the world in which we live. And now, Father, as we go into our studies, we ask that you would be with each listener, that the power of the Holy Spirit may grant them the privilege of being able to engage with your word and to be able to understand it in a way that they can make the application to their lives to be able to walk in harmony with you. Bless my host, so Heavenly Father, and him who deals with the technology that the power of the Holy Spirit may continue to guide in that direction. And as I speak the words that you have given to me, that they too may be inspiration in directing our path to the way that leads to the eternal destiny that you have prepared for your children. Now, Father, as we open your word, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds that we may be able to receive the things that you have to give, that we may be the better for it. Pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Well, our first text that we want to use, we want to turn to the book of uh, Deuteronomy, Devarim. And in the book of Deuteronomy, we want to look at uh, chapter 4. And I want to read a few verses from that particular chapter in Deuteronomy. And we want to start with verse 25 and want to go down to verse 31. So here it reads in Deuteronomy chapter 25, I mean chapter 4, starting with verse 25, it says, When thou shalt beget children, and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves, and make a graven image or the likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of Yah. Elohim to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. Yahweh shall scatter you among the nations, and as ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whether Yah shall lead you, and there ye shall serve God's the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But if from thence thou shalt seek Yah, Elohim, Thou shalt find him if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. When thou art in tribulation, all these things shall come upon thee even in the latter days. If thou turn to Yah Elohim and shall be obedient unto his voice. Yah thy Elohim is, is a merciful El. He will not forsake thee neither destroy thee nor forget the covenant of thy fathers which he swore unto them. So here he kind of laid out that there's going to be consequences for disobedience and even in disobedience if we turn to him he is merciful and he would be able to retrieve or to give us the salvation we need even after we've sinned, if we turn to him. So one of the reasons why Elohim's people 
was taken into captivity and scattered upon the earth is because of disobedience. Now, when we read in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 27, here it says in verse 27, to reiterate uh, this portion of the, uh, of, the, of the passage that we just read, it said, And Yah shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whether Yah shall lead you. Okay, so even today, as a people still suffer from the disease of disobedience, the Torah, which Yah gave to Moses, explains what the results of disobedience would be. And we've just read it, that he will scatter, he will scatter his people. They will be scattered in all parts of the earth. So that's one of the results of disobedience. Elohim has always given to his people the resulting consequences of rejecting his covenant. As a matter of fact, when Yah gave his covenant to our first parents, Adam and Eve, after placing them in, in their garden home, he instructed them of the consequences of partaking of the tree of good and evil. Now, let's, let's go back to that covenant that he made with our, uh, uh, our first parents. And we want to go to Genesis chapter 2, and we want to consider verses 15 through 17, okay? So here we read in Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 15, it says, And Yah Elohim took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And Yah Elohim commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou may freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So here was one of the covenants that he had first made with Adam and Eve. He said that they can eat of all of the trees, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They should not eat of it, for if they did, they would terminate their lives. Elohim was up front with them when he gave to them his covenant, as he was to ancient Israel when he gave them his Torah of judgment, statutes, which he had given them from the start. So when we read in Deuteronomy, it's not anything that is different that he's telling them, if you obey, you will live, but if you disobey, you will die. He had done that with, with our forefathers. He had done it with Adam and Eve, who was the mother and father of the entire human race. So he didn't just give them the blessings that would be received as a result of obedience to his commandments, but he also gave them the curses that would be received as a result of disobedience to his commandments. So what we're looking at is that Elohim laid out the entire scope of what would transpire with obedience and what would transpire with disobedience. As Yah's people, Israel, journeyed through the wilderness of this world, their experiences 
with his covenant was at times up and down like a seesaw and back and forth like a pendulum. Yes, one moment they were up on his blessings and another moment they were down with curses, with the curses. At times they stood sturdy upon his word and at other times they went to the left and to the right of his word. The the history of his people has been that of the prolonged path of disobedience from our first parents to the present. From the fall of the satanic agencies from heaven to this earth, Yah's people have been challenged in their stance for truth. Now let us turn to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we want to look at chapter 12. Book of Revelation, chapter 12. And we want to consider a couple of verses. And so as we look at that, what we want to be able to see is what happened to bring about uh, that particular scenario. And as we look at that particular scenario, what we want to do is see what took took place, okay? So as we look at that, we are seeing the beginning of the evils that had come upon this earth. So here we read in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. It said, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast into the earth, and his angels was cast out with him. So we see here that the satanic agencies of the devil and his angels, they were cast out of heaven, and they came to this earth. Okay, And then in verse 12, in verse 12 it says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens. Why would the heavens rejoice? Simply because Satan was no longer up there. And ye that dwell in them. In other words, y'all can have a rejoicing time. But he says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath a short time to reign. So he is saying, Let the heavens rejoice because he's cast out. But he said, Woe to the earth because he's coming down now to deal with y'all. And as he would come down to deal with us, then we have to deal with these evils that he uh, perpetrated upon our first parents. So from the initiating of disobedience in the garden, it affected the following generations of the offspring to populate the earth. Even in their own offspring, Cain inherited a set of genes from their once holy and righteous nature to act out an evil impulse to slay his brother Abel. Nevertheless, from Cain's seed of disobedience and rebellion, which had been sown from Satan to his evil angels, to Eve and Adam, and their future children would carry within themselves seeds of discord against Yah's covenant. And by the same principles which Elohim governed both the botanical and the zoological spheres of life, that everything reproduces after its kind. So let us go back to Genesis, and we want to understand these principles, which we have articulated before, but we want to understand it uh, 
in the light of what we are looking at in disobedience. Now, in Genesis 1, and we are considering verse 11, and verses 11 and 12 says, And Elohim said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And Elohim saw that it was good. Okay, now in the same first chapter, not only do we see how the, the botanical world uh, reproduced after kind, but then in verse 21 it says here, in Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 21 says, And Elohim created the great whales and every living creature that moved with which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and Elohim saw that it was good. So when we look at the fish and the fowl, there's a principle there that says their seed reproduces after its kind. Okay, and then when we go further in verse 24, notice what it says. And Elohim said, let the earth bring forth living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. So he's saying that all of the creatures that creep upon the earth, they would come forth after their kind. And as they would come forth after their kind, then they would be able to replenish the earth with those species in which uh, they were. So what Elohim intended for good to reproduce after its kind would now reproduce evil after, after its kind. So the principle that he had put within nature and all of the uh, creatures and the plants that he had made, he says, in a good state, they would reproduce after his kind. But now that sin has entered into the universe, then this means that even evil would now reproduce after its kind. So that principle was not limited to just the good to reproduce after its kind, but also the evil. So since the fall of our primate parents to now, evil has been multiplying Manifold in both its quality and its quantity. So when we look at the quality of sin and the quantity of sin, because of that principle of reproducing evil after its kind, it has grown tremendously. As transgression became so rampant upon earth, spreading the disobedience upon the fallen race, only Enoch, the seventh from Adam, was taken from this earth by Yah to be given another home. Let's consider that. Let's, let's look at Genesis chapter 5. And in Genesis chapter 5, we want to look at verses 21 to 24. Now here the Bible says in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, it says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years, and he begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with Elohim after he begat Methuselah, 300 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with Elohim and was not, for Elohim took him. So out of all of the people that populated the earth at the time before the flood, what we see is that Enoch, Enoch was the only one 
that Elohim saw fit to take with, with, with him. Okay. So Enoch was found righteous, and therefore Elohim took him. And so we, we read again in, 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 in the book of Jude. Now, when we go to the book of Jude, here in the book of Jude, it only has uh, one chapter, and we go to verse 14. Jude 1.14 says, And Enoch also called, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things. Behold, Yah cometh with 10,000 of his saints. So we see way back then, the book of Jude is pointing out, Elohim took uh, Enoch to be with him, but before Enoch left this, this earth, the Bible said he, that he prophesied, and his prophecy was that when he prophesied that Yeshua was coming with ten thousands of his saints. Now, when you look at that prophecy, it's a twofold prophecy. Because when he prophesied, he was prophesying that Yeshua will come in with ten thousand of his saints. Now, when you say ten thousand of your saints, you're talking about those who are holy. That's what a saint is. So he is prophesying that when Yeshua comes the second time, he's coming with his angels who are the saints. And the second time, this prophecy is bringing out that when he comes the third time, he's coming with his saints, those in whom he had re, uh, redeemed. But the point that we are looking at is simply this, is that Enoch in his day was the only one that Elohim took away from this earth without seeing death. So as the continued decline of the morals of his people multiply their decadent lifestyle brought about the worldwide deluge whereby only Noah and his wife and his three sons' wives were salvaged by the obedience to aboard the ark. In their time, as well as our, to avoid the coming catastrophe of fire. So the Bible is teaching here that only Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives were saved during the time of the flood. So what we are looking at basic, basically here is that when you look at the entire world and only Enoch was taken, and then when we look at Noah in the world in which he, he was living and only eight people were saved, it's apparent with Elohim that he's, he is concerned with people being saved, but if the majority is not doing what he wants them to do, then the majority would have to go. And even though a few people maybe believe then those few people will be saved. This is why when Yeshua was on earth, he said, why is a road that leads to destruction and very many go thereat? He said, but narrow is the gate that leads to life and very few find it. 
So he has given a principle here that when you go back to Enoch and you go back to Noah, what do we find? We find that the wide gate, many was, many was were there, but when it came to the narrow gate, it was only a few. So isn't Elohim telling us that it doesn't make a difference? If I get a few, fine. If I get many, fine. But he's letting us know from the record that has been given through the Bible that if you're not going to obey me, I don't care how, how many you are, you're not going to get into my kingdom. You have to obey my covenant. And so as we look at that, we want to take heed that he is not playing the numbers game, that if you the most, then you outvote those who are the few. No, the few are going to outvote the most if they are obedient to what he is saying. So even after the restoration, restoration of a new world that was welcomed in by the dove carrying an olive leaf in her mouth, signifying that Yah's spirit endorsed the acceptance of this earth in its, rest, in its recreation after the flood, as it did in the creation of this world when his spirit moved upon the face of the deep. Now let's turn to Genesis uh, chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. So here in Genesis chapter 8, and we're going to look at uh, verse 11. Genesis 8, 11 says this. It said, and the dove came in to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked. So Nora knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. Okay. So now what we see is that the dove uh, went over the earth as the waters subsided. And then we read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the spirit of, and, and, and the Ruach Elohim moved upon the waters, or the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. So in very much the same way, when he created the world, the spirit moved upon the waters, and when the waters abated off the earth, the dove, and the representation of the spirit, uh, descends of uh, which was the descent of Yah's heavenly dove taking hold of the olive leaf of peace upon the earth. Heaven and earth had been reconciled, however, not too far in the restored world, the genetic makeup of the fallen nature of human beings began to surface again. In the post-antidiluvian world, the seeds of rebellion sown by the serpent into our first matriarch and patriarch, Eve and Adam, now began to manifest the fruit of good and evil in the earth. Nimrod, and he began to rebel. Now let us turn to Genesis chapter 10. In Genesis chapter 10, we want to look at uh, verse 8. Genesis 10, 8 says, And Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. And then we read in Genesis chapter 11, verse 9, it says, Therefore is the name of it called Babel. In other words, he had built a city and he called it Babel. 
because Yah did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did Yah scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. So Nimrod, the grandson of Noah, through the line of Cush, sought to defy Yah's command to scatter abroad upon the earth. It was their transgression which caused them to be scattered upon the earth in the first place. Therefore, not to be scattered would allow the sons and daughters of Cush to cluster in Babel, a city constructed by Nimrod to set up a central headquarters to carry out their sinful schemes and their devilish devisings. Even though Babel, which through many ages has been laid in the dust, yet the evil spirit of Babel, which we now call Babylon, continues to permeate the earth. The spirit of Satan under the guise of the serpent continues to exert his demonic influence upon the rulers of the nations of this world. This satanic spirit of Nimrod seeks to govern the entire earth. What he attempted to do in ancient Babylon, he is now attempting to do in Neo-Babylon through the heads of religion, religious leaders and government heads. When Abraham and Sarah showed up upon the scene of earth history, they began, like Noah and his family, to carve out a path of righteousness by faith, even though in doing so, they themselves faltered in their journey. This sacred couple had no idea of the consequences which would come about as a result of Hagar's son, Ishmael, whom Abraham's seed brought about. However, from Abraham's seed, Sarah's land, and from Abraham's and Sarah's land came Isaac and Rebekah, who in turn bore Esau and Jacob, who through Jacob and Rachel and his handmaids bore the 12 tribes of Jacob, who became Israel, and it would be through the sons of Israel that salvation would be brought to the world. So what we are seeing is a progression from Adam all the way down so far to Abraham and Jacob. And so what we want to see is that all the way down, we can see Elohim's people. They have rebelled against him. They have been disobedient, and disobedience, according to the principle, would multiply after its kind. And if we could imagine the mathematical calculation of sin in this world for so long, that even at the time in which Yeshua was here on the earth, sin had multiplied greatly. So from the time of Yeshua up until now, the reason why this world is gripped in sin is because it is multiplied so strongly and so rigidly that it's difficult to get people to see Elohim's covenant because sin is so hard and strong because it is multiplied many times over 
This is why it takes a miracle in order to get a person to come out of the world into the covenant that Elohim has established. So thus far, we have seen how sin has multiplied and put this world in the condition in which it's in. So we'll bring this part of the destiny of disobedience to a conclusion, and then we'll continue here uh, in the following weeks after the uh, after the festival days to continue with this series. So you was basically, you were saying that uh, evil has been multiplying since the garden. So mm-hmm. basically it wasn't, it was evil back then, but it's probably not as evil as it is now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Sin is that powerful. And it is interesting um, because the reason why a lot of supposed African-Americans, black Americans, foundational black uh, Africans, they get so many terms for it. The reason why we're here is because of the covenant and our breaking the covenant and sin while we were mm-hmm. scattered all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Cush was the son of uh, Ham, mm-hmm. and Cush's son was Nimrod. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that, that was uh, Nimrod was one of his sons, yeah. Uh, it's interesting now. A lot of times I always hear, and I know coming up in the religious background, they used to always say that uh, black Americans was from the line of, well, black people, period, for it was from the line of Ham. But mm. when you really start to dig and read and study, you will find out that Shem and Ham pretty much was up underneath each other quite a bit, especially in the continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they cohabitated. Matter of fact, it was when when Abraham's uh, wife Sarah died, he went to the Hittites, which were come through the uh, sons of uh, sons of Ham, uh-huh. and he he was able, he was able to get a burial plot. Uh-huh. And we and we see Joseph down in Egypt, you know, uh-huh. in Mizraim, and uh, Mizraim they come from the sons of Ham, uh-huh. you know, down through that line. And uh, uh, Joseph he married he 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 married uh, an Egyptian woman. Mm. So they've all, they've all down through history, they have been having a close habitation together. You know, it's interesting, too, because um, it seemed like Japheth was the only one that kind of left the area after the flood of his brothers. It looks like I think mm. he, he seemed to go to more north. And, you know, it, it's funny how some Bible scholars, you know, they'll say that, uh, Ham was black, very dark skinned. Shem was like in between, and Japheth was white. I can't believe that. I believe all of them were of color. At one oh, yeah, time, they, they were. The Bible teaches that. So if you if you teach uh, that one was white and the other was kind of fair skinned and the other was real dark, you're really teaching racism. You know. Uh-huh. Scholastic racism has existed a long time in, in our studies. Not only have it existed in a geographical location that they would show other smaller continents larger than Africa. In Africa, you can almost take 
the United States or Europe and sit in Africa about three times, but yet yeah. they'll show other continents, and that's what you call geographical racism. Mm. And then what you had is uh, uh, the racism dealing with the different ethnicities of people. Now, genetically speaking, they said if uh, uh, Nora and Mrs. Nora, if, if they were black, mm-hmm. then their children had to be black. True. And so if so, I mean, even in their own science and biology yeah. teaches that, genetics teaches that. So that would mean that all of them were, were of the same ethnicity, True. at least at that time in history. And so to teach otherwise, you are teaching racism read from the Bible, and the Bible doesn't teach that. Now, we can we can say that as uh, the sons of Japheth uh-huh. moved up north, they were not exposed to the sun like the sons of Ham and also the Shemitic people. So therefore, they, they probably got a little pale and a little lighter as time went on. But as the people of Ham settled down in Africa where it was hot, their genetic makeup was got darker and darker. And then the Semitic people, who were not quite down in Africa, but they were in what they call the Middle East, around in the Palestinian area that we know today, that it was not as hot as Africa. So they their, their skin tonation may be a little different. And even the Book of Solomon says, he says, the reason why I'm black, he said, because the sun has kissed me. Mm-hmm. So what Solomon is saying is that when that sun continue to beat down on your skin, uh, the genetic makeup is going to try to protect you and you get that melanin in your skin, which is healthy, then just your skin is also going to change colors. And mm-hmm. even 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 people who have a white ethnicity they know that if they stay in the sun, they can get a suntan. Uh-huh. And many of them love to get a suntan. Why? Because it makes them look darker, and they love the darker race. You know, too, uh, just harking back just on genetics, uh, you know, how they said, you know, uh, Ham being dark, Shem middle, and Japheth lighter. Um, only whites can only beget white. The only time they can produce a child of another color is with a person of another color. You know, now from mm-hmm. my understanding, black women can basically almost produce every single color of the rainbow. You know, mm-hmm. because when you, when, when you really go to start looking at the Shemitic people, uh, Shemitic people are, in my opinion, rainbow colored. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. from dark to light, very light. When you look mm-hmm. at the Hermetic people, most of them, they don't really range much. They're dark, you know, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, especially like when you look at, I, I think the Somalis, which are very dark skinned people. And it's another group of people, which you can kind of mm-hmm. tell Herm- Hermetic people from Shemitic people um, by some of their features. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. But you know, it, it's it too. One how one of the scriptures, I think you brought out, was it that when he scattered the um, children of Israel, did it say it said they will be least in numbers in where they reside? Mm-hmm. Right? That was in yeah, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter four, verses twenty-five to thirty-one. Yeah. And when you look at the countries we were taking to. We have we are far less in numbers than the dominant people, 
Even mm-hmm. in South America, a lot of us was taken into Brazil. I think Brazil had the biggest uh, concentration of African slaves, and America was second behind them. But still, they are outnumbered by lighter-skinned people of the JFF uh, uh, descendants and whatnot. And same thing mm-hmm. with here in America and everything. And then when you even go into how we were spread in Europe, we were far in numbers. In all yeah. in, in these different mm-hmm. countries, yeah, you go to China and these different places, still hot number. You know, and it's interesting because too, when you begin to look at who's the true people, like the people that says that they're the true people of Israel, um, you have to, you know, to me, explain to me where are you in the world that you are less in numbers of people right. that look like you. Yeah, well, the Khazars who became the modern day Jews, you know, mm-hmm. they they want to claim the heritage and the and the uh, offspring of of, uh, of the true Jewish people. But it's amazing they don't want to claim the struggles that you went through. True. Yeah, they want to claim all of the benefits of the Torah, but they don't want to share the pain and the suffering that we went through as a result of rejecting this covenant. They don't want that, but they do want to say they're the true people according to uh, keeping the Torah and stuff. But I don't know how you're going to keep the Torah and you're telling the falsehood. That is true. That is true. Um, you know, it, it's just, I mean, you know, it, to me, if you're the true people, there's going to be certain signs that's going to be told and foretold that you're going to see. Because, I mean, anybody, I mean, it could be another group of people that come around and say they're the true people. But if it doesn't fit what the scripture says that was going to happen to the true people, how can you say you are that? You know, outside mm-hmm. of trying to manipulate the history books and, and, and uh, hide different artifacts to prove. But it's some mm-hmm. artifacts that are still out here today if you really was to look and that where you will find the truth that will point mm-hmm. to uh, Yah's true people. And, you know, to me, at the end of the day, the Most High knows who his true people are. So even if I'm say I'm part of the children of Israel, only he knows for sure. If no, I no. am or am I'm not. So what good is it for, you know, a people to say, you know, this is us, we are this, when the Most High knows for sure. Yeah, well, I guess when you get caught up into uh, trying to make yourself stand out, uh-huh. uh, you, you may not just take that in consideration. Yeah. But you know, too, at the end of the day, it, it to me, it really doesn't matter because if we are not doing the things that he specified us to do, specifically, what difference does it make? You're going mm-hmm. to be cast out anyway. Yeah, well, that's, that's one of the things about the evil is that, you know, sometimes people, they don't, they don't think through stuff, just like Satan. Uh-huh. If if he hadn't crucified Yeshua, I don't think we would have got salvation. But uh-huh. see, he, he was so evil that he went and killed him. And it, and he and he reads the Bible himself because the Bible says he, he knows the word. Uh-huh. And the word teaches that 
the only way he could save us is be lifted up on the cross. So if you knew that, why would you kill him? He wouldn't have been able to save nobody. But but I'm saying when you when you <laughs> evil, true. some of the some of the stuff that you overlook because you're so evil, uh-huh. then when you turn around and see what you've done, you say, "Wow, ooh, if I hadn't done that, yeah, okay." That's because you're so evil that you got your intent on doing exactly what you want, and you feel that if I kill this man, then uh, he gonna be out of the picture, so nobody would, you know, be able to have the strength. But you know, the Bible teaches that he came to destroy the works of the devil. Okay, mm-hmm. and so if Judas had thought, Judas would have said, "Wait a minute, now." If this man is able, well, here's what Judas thought. He said, well, now, I'm going to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. But wouldn't he have thought and said, well, you know, if this man can raise the dead, feed feed the multitudes, heal the sick and cause the blind to see and the crippled to walk, this man got all his power, then I don't need to really sell him out. If I hang with this guy, he's able to take care of me, you know. Yeah. But but off the contrary, he said, if this man got all that power, he can heal the sick, he can feed the multitudes, he can cause the blind to see. He said, then I know this man. If I if I sell him for thirty pieces of silver, with all that power, he 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 can he can set himself free. Mm. He can set himself free. So Judas backed on the fact that. All right, I can give me an extra piece of 30 pieces of silver and put it in my pocket. And, uh-huh. and then I know my Lord, with all that power that he got, because I've seen his power, he can break loose from these soldiers. And then when he saw that Yeshua was not going to use his power to get loose, then he was dumbfounded. Wow. And he went back to the people who gave him the silver and said, take it back. And they said, we can't. It's the price of blood. And he threw it down and went and hung himself. But I'm saying when people are evil, they don't take time to think through stuff. No. They just want to do their evil. No, you're right. So we have a question from our mm-hmm. listener, mm-hmm. and it reads, Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because Elohim had translated him. For before his translation, he had his testimony that he pleased Elohim. Yet, Hebrews 11.13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The chapter says all those mentioned died. Enoch was mentioned. Please explain. Okay, let's look at the text. Uh, now, you, you, you uh, okay, the question is, now you read, what, what verses did you read? You read uh, 11.5? Uh, Hebrews 11.5 and 11.13. Oh, 11, 13. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go to 13 first, since I think that's the, uh, I think that's, that's where the problem arises. Okay. 
It said, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and was persuaded of them, and they embraced them. And when they did that, they were uh, not had received the promise. Okay. All right. Now, let's put, put this in perspective. Let's put this in perspective now. I'm going to answer this in two ways, in two ways, okay? It says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Okay, now the first way I'm going to explain this is, is this, is that uh, even though uh, Enoch went to heaven, okay, uh, or the father took him. He he was taken to be with Elohim. Is that the the ultimate promise? The ultimate promise that he was going to give his children, even though he was taken from this earth, that he did not receive the ultimate promise of what all of his pe people going to receive at the end of time. They didn't receive that. Okay. Now, even if Enoch did receive that, then we 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 can say that in him receiving it then it still depended upon Yeshua's death because if Yeshua didn't go through with his mission then he Enoch as well as Moses and the other people who were taken taken to be with him Moses and Elijah they would still have to come down from heaven and and experience death like everybody else because Yeshua wouldn't go through his mission. So what I'm saying is, uh, even though he was taken, he did not ultimately receive the full benefit, and that won't be received until he wiped away sin from the universe. Okay. Okay, now the second thing I want to point out is that if we are talking about they all died, and I think this is where the crux of it is, if they all died and they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth, then how does uh, Enoch fit in there if you said they all died? Now, if the emphasis is on death, and we are saying that all of these people that he mentioned along with Enoch died and Enoch didn't die, uh, then how could they say they all died when Enoch didn't die? Well, uh, simply this. Uh, uh, Let's go back to uh, 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 Hebrews 11, okay? And then when we go back to he Hebrews 11, it says in verse 5, which would give some clarification on, on, on the death, it said, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. So even though you got a list of people that saw death, the Bible is still explaining with the exception of Enoch. Enoch did not see death. So even though the rest of them did, he did not see it because the Bible is emphasizing that he did not see death and was not found because Elohim had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased Elohim. So Elohim is saying, he is the only one that had that testimony 
And so because he had it, I'm going to take him, even though the rest who died in faith, who were strangers and pilgrims here, they did not get what uh, Enoch got because I took him. So the Bible, in my estimation, is explaining that all of the all of the ones who died, Enoch was taken. So now, the first premise we're looking at is that did he get the full reward? But yet he was taken. And the second thing is, he he is not, even though he's numbered with those who was dead, but he was the exception because Elohim saw his testimony and he took him before. You know, uh, as the Bible would put it, it puts it this way. It says, uh, and by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and that he was not found and that he was not found because Elohim translated him. So when he translated him, he took him with him. That's why they could not find him. Okay. And so that would be my understanding is that he singled him out to let you know specifically that he was listed with the group, but he would not get the same fate as death that they got, but he would be taken without seeing death. Uh, just before we get ready to go on to the next segment, was there any specific reason why Enoch was chosen to um, not see death? Mm-hmm. The Bible tells us right here. Let's, oh. let's turn back to Genesis. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's Genesis 5. Okay, here's why. Here it is. And, uh, uh, well, it, it also said, I think we read it in uh, Hebrews too, but here, mm-hmm. here the Bible says, in Genesis 5, 24, and Enoch walked with Elohim and was not for Elohim took him. In other words, when you say walk with Elohim, in other words, he, he walked in the statutes and the laws and everything that Elohim gave to do. Uh-huh. And, and this is why when, when you read in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, when you read in, 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 in Hebrews 11, let me get back to that. Yeah, he gets specifically why 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 he was taken. All right, let me see. All right. All right, here, here, here in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, uh, in verse 5, the latter part of verse 5 says, it says, uh, and he was not found because Elohim had translated him, for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased Elohim. So in other words, when you you Genesis chapter five mm-hmm. and verse 24, it says he walked with Elohim and that walk with Elohim confirms what is being said in Hebrews 11, five, that he had a testimony that he pleased Elohim. How did he please Elohim? We just read it. He walked with Elohim. He didn't walk with these worldly folk. Mm-hmm. And, and and from one of my favorite authors, uh-huh. she points out that Enoch, for the 365 uh, years that he lived on this planet, he would go off by himself and meditate and be with Elohim, okay? Uh-huh. And when he had his first son, then Elo- 
it even brought him closer to Elohim when he had his first son. And so he would take time to meditate and to walk with Elohim, and then he would come back and it was preached. And he was saying he was the seventh son from Adam, mm -hmm. uh, the seventh generation from Adam, and he prophesied and he preached according to the book of Jude. He would come back and preach to those folk. Mm. Some may have accepted and some may have rejected, but we know that Noah and Methuselah, they all accepted him. Mm. Okay. So he walked with Elohim. How did he walk with him? He walked with him by merit, meditation and prayer and fasting. And then the knowledge that he got, he went back to preach to the people. And when he went back to preach to the people, Elohim looked at him and said, man, you got a testimony that you walk with me. And I see how you were not selfish, that you not only took time to make sure that you had soul salvation, but you went back and you preached to others to help them to get their soul salvation. He said, you know, why don't, he said, you're closer to my home now than you are to the earthly family. Why don't you come and go home with me? So uh -huh. he took Enoch because he walked with him. Wow. That's what we want to strive for. Even though I think at this, with as much as evil has entered, I think that um, some of us, you know, we're going to see death before the Savior comes, and mm -hmm. some of us will still... You know, if we make it to the last days when he comes, we'll be alive to see him come. Mm -hmm. Well, with that, we will trans go into our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. Uh, this week, I want to continue on uh, the topic we had uh, discussed a little bit two weeks ago about the Renewed Covenant. So I want to, this is to deal with the Renewed Covenant Part 2. So if you have your Bibles, uh, if you can turn with me into Hebrews chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 8 through 13. Again, that's Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 13. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days come, says Yahuwah, when I will make a renewed covenant with the house of Yasharel and with the house of Yehuda." Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Mizraim, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, says Yahuwah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Yasharel after those days, says Yahuwah. I will put my Torah in their mind and write it in their hearts, and I will be their Elohim. And they shall be to me a people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know Yahuwah, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins, and their Torahless deeds will I remember no more. In that he says a renewed covenant, he has made the first old, now that which decays and waxes old is ready to vanish away. So, Pastor, before we begin, I want to know uh, what were the components of the Old Covenant? Well, the, in a simplified version, uh, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant uh, were basically the same. Okay. That the difference was the means by which it was appropriated to them. Uh -huh. 
Now you find that the old covenant, uh, when they, you know, had to be ratified by blood because uh, a covenant it come from the word, the the Hebrew word bereath. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that means to cut a covenant. And now, why did you say a, a cut a covenant? Because that's what the word bereath means to cut a covenant. And in order to cut a covenant, you had to slay an animal. You cut it an animal in half, and then you had to walk through the blood of the animal. Okay. And by walking through the blood of the animal, you were saying basically that if you break the covenant, somebody had to die. And so mm-hmm. that animal that was sacrificed represented Yeshua, the Messiah, that would die. And he was taking the place of the person who broke the covenant. So they did that by animals. But the new covenant, the means by ratifying that one, was not by the blood of goats and bullocks, which is also explained here in the book of Hebrews, but it was by the blood of Yeshua. That was one thing. All right. Then the old covenant, uh, another thing that we want to look at is that after Elohim had been up in the... uh, after uh, Moses had been up in the mount with Elohim for about 40 days, uh, they broke the covenant. Uh, they were dancing around the golden calf. So when Elohim said, Moses, you better get down there, those people are uh, going against my covenant. And Moses said, no. And Elohim said, get down there, Moses. And so Moses got down there. He saw that. Uh-huh. And then he had those blue tablets in his hand, and he broke them because he saw the uh, the idolatry of what your people was going through. So uh because uh, earlier, because when he had given the covenant, you know, uh, they said all that you said we would do. Uh-huh. They were trying to do it in their own strength. But the new covenant, they didn't have to do it in their own strength. They could do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. The Holy, if they would allow the Holy Spirit to work with them, then uh-huh. they could fulfill the covenant. There, was, there wasn't uh, anything different by what he required of them to do, but the means in which he was given them to be able to accomplish it that was what the the difference the, the difference was. And the Bible says it will reach a time that this Holy Spirit will write the covenant upon their hearts and you don't have to go to door to door and, and ask somebody, well, what is the covenant? He said, all of my people will know the covenant uh-huh. because the Spirit will write his covenant upon, 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 upon their hearts. Uh-huh. And we must, and that's like a lot of people say, well, the old covenant was done away with. We don't have to do with, away with that. Then they are saying that not only was the was the uh, the covenant done away with, and the means are different. They saying you don't have to go go by the covenant at all. Well, if that's the case, if you if the and then they'll say the covenant was nailed to the cross. Yeah. But if that's the case, that he's gonna do do away with all of the stipulation of the covenant, then you mean to tell me you can sin and get away with sin? And a lot of people say, well. He did away with the old covenant. So what does he expect you to do now that he did with the old, did away with the old covenant? What do you expect you to do? Uh-huh. They said, we don't have to do anything now. Well, if you don't have to do anything, then why would he have a standard that was different from those in the Old Testament that is different from the New Testament? All of a sudden, he's going to dismiss sin now that was in the Old Covenant, and you don't have to do it. Well, if well, number one, if, if that is true, Yeshua didn't have to die on the cross. All he had to do is say, well... Since I know I'm gonna change my covenant, if I even if I died on the cross, then what need me to die? Because I'm gonna change the covenant anyway. That's number one. And number yeah. two is that if he changed the covenant, uh, that if a person uh, sinned according to the old covenant, and they continue to, to con- continue to sin, then you got to stand it different 
from them that so if, if that is true then all of the people that died during the time of the flood you have to wake those people up and say you know I made a mistake down here after my son died I changed the covenant uh-huh. and when I changed it I said uh, the new covenant you don't have to do that stuff any, anymore he said I apologize I killed y'all for that but since I changed it I have to apologize for you but you know that's not the truth the same covenant that he gave uh-huh. in the Old Testament is the same in the New. What makes the New Covenant is because you had the blood of Yeshua and you had the power of the Holy Spirit helping them to keep the covenant. That's what made it different. So the only difference was, it sounds like the where before you had to commit a sacrifice where mm-hmm. the yeah. son, Yahushua, was the sacrifice Mm-hmm. negating all the other things before then. Right. You know, so therefore, the Ten Commandments are still in play. Mm-hmm. You know, but what is crazy is that even though the Ten Commandments are still in play, a lot of people, especially Sunday worshipers, still believe Sunday is the day and that the Sabbath has pretty much been done away with. Yeah, well, not only the Sabbath, but, you know, the dietary laws and a whole lot of other yeah. stuff. People say, you know, uh, the way you dress and all this. It's all that's been done away with. Well, well, if all of that was done away with, then are we saying that Elohim gave them all of these particular things back then, and, and it w- if they had kept them, and some did keep them, that they would be much better off. And then when we come up to our day, we saying, well, you don't have to worry about what you eat and what you dress and, and, and the Ten Commandments and the Sabbath. That don't, that don't matter now. Uh-huh. So, so Elohim is, is saying that when he give his word to his people, at one time it matters, then at another time it doesn't matter. Uh-huh. Why, why would you give your people something that did not matter. And then you come up to us and say, it doesn't matter, but to them it did matter. That That's duplicity. That's a double standard. Uh-huh. Elohim's standard was the same for Adam as he was for the rest of the race. Uh-huh. Adam knew the dietary law. Elohim explained it right there in, in, in the Bible. He told him what the herbs and, and stuff was for. Elohim knew the dress law. That's why he dressed Adam and Eve in the garden. He, he, he knew it. So the same thing for them is the same thing for us. But like I said, his blood atoned for us and makes a difference. Uh-huh. And the Holy Spirit leads us, which makes the difference. So uh, was there a specific reason why Yah decided to give the covenant uh, to specifically Israel and the commandments to Israel as opposed to someone from the descendants of Ham and Japheth? Or was mm-hmm. maybe Ham and Japheth just so wicked that Yah saw that he wasn't be going to be able to come through them? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Israel, as we do our discourse on the destiny of disobedience, Israel, they were disobedient too. So that I don't think that was the issue. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I think the thing is, if we turn to Genesis chapter nine, uh, Genesis chapter nine, 
And we we look at this scenario. Okay, Genesis chapter nine. Okay, Genesis chapter nine. Look at verse starting with verse nine. It says, uh, "It says uh, now this is talking to Noah. See, we know he had given the covenant to um, Adam, but after he had recreated the world, he says in verse uh, Genesis nine nine says." And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. Okay? Okay. Now, if you look at that, if he's established his his seed with Noah, did that mean that he was also establishing his covenant with Ham, Japheth, and uh, Shem? Uh-huh. Because that, that, that was his seed. That was, that was Noah's seed. Okay, but it goes on to say, and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl, of the cattle and of every beast of the earth with you from all that go out of the ark uh, to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of the flood and neither shall there be any more a flood to destroy the earth. So he, he basically made it with all mankind in the beginning. Okay. Okay. But now if we turn to Genesis chapter 15, Okay, Genesis chapter 15, and we notice uh, verse number 18. Here's what it says. Genesis 15 says, in verse 18 says, And the same day Yah made a covenant with Abram, saying unto thy seed I have given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. In other words, Abraham was now coming through the land of Seth rather than the land of Cain. Cain uh-huh. had a wicked land. And so when he established his, his, his land with Cain, I mean, with Seth through Adam, uh-huh. then eventually there was the Semitic people. And he is saying here in verse 18 that I'm establishing with Abram, who later on became Abraham, that he was establishing his covenant with. Now, when he established it with Abraham, Abraham, as we was talking about in the discourse, he was trying to promote his seed through Hagar, which was Egypt. But at this time in history, Elohim had already established his, his bloodline, and his bloodline was going to come through the Semitic people, oh. even though Hamitic people and Japhetic people could come into that line. Uh-huh. But his land was with Abraham. And so Abraham led to Isaac and Rebekah. And Isaac and Rebekah led to the line of East uh, of of of, of, uh, of Jacob and Esau. I mean Jacob and and, and Rachel. Uh-huh. And from Jacob and Rachel, they had Esau and Jacob. But Jacob married into the land of the Semitic people. Because he went back to his mother's side, which was Semitic, uh-huh. but Esau went to the land of Hagar, uh-huh. okay, which was not his people. And even Paul talks about this in the New Testament, of how you got the son of a bondwoman, which was Hagar, and the son of the free woman, which was Sarah. So he did establish a land after Jacob. Uh, and, 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 and Rachel and they are handmaidens 
And Leah, when they gave him children, they developed the 12 tribes of Israel in which Elohim was going to use to give salvation to the world. Mm. Okay. Wow. So, um, so the, the covenant was given to basically everybody on this planet Earth. Mm-hmm. It's just so that first, yeah. mm-hmm. he chose to, uh, well, I, I wonder too, whereas uh, Shem and his people more closer to doing what Yah wanted than uh, Ham and Japheth, because we know Ham went on to try to do his own thing with, you know, uh, especially with Cush and Nimrod. You know, they wasn't keeping anything. But I think mm-hmm. when you when you look at the ones who came down through the line of Shem, Abram, I think because uh, Abram's father was Eber, right? Who, Abram's father? Yeah. No, that was uh, uh, T-Rick. Uh, oh, okay. What is, yeah, he, no, he was, uh, I mean, Eber was in the uh, Hebraic line, but that was uh-huh. not the father of Abraham. Abraham's uh, father was T-Rick. Uh, oh, okay. T-R-A-H, Okay. Yeah. And okay. you remember t Rex had, uh, he, 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 well, his wife produced, one of his wives produced Abraham, uh-huh. and he had another wife that produced Sarah, and that's why when Abraham would go around, he was saying she was his sister, which he was, he was right, but he was actually telling the falsehood she was his wife. But they had different mothers, same father, but different mothers. But T-Rex was the father of Abraham. Okay. Okay. But, you know. See, and all of these came through the Semitic people. And so Elohim called Abraham out of the errors of the Chaldean because those people were heathens down there. So he told Abraham, you got to get out of here if you're going to serve me. And so since Abraham walked by faith with him, uh, he continued the line of the Semitic people of which Elohim was going to develop later on into the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm. Wow. Wow. Well, I think that was, uh, that was the main questions I had in regards to the renewed covenant. So just to reiterate, it was basically the format of dealing with sin that was changed instead of having to sacrifice an animal. Yahusha was to replace that when he came. Mm-hmm. One last question before we close. Will there be another covenant after this, or is just this covenant is it? You know. Well, okay. Well, what, what, yeah, well, uh, here's what you want to keep in mind is uh-huh. that Elohim has never changed his covenant. He, he may have changed the means. Uh-huh. So when you say another covenant, uh, Remember the old covenant and new covenant, they they the same covenant, but the uh-huh. means are different. And so that means that uh, the same covenant they gave in the old times, same covenant they given after Yeshua, will also be the same covenant when he comes that he's, he will be dealing with, with us on. So I'm going to kind of rephrase your question, even though I know what you mean. Would that be a new covenant? Uh, no, there won't be a new covenant. it be the same covenant. Uh-huh. But with the stipulation of his blood and with his with with the spirit of Elohim. Yeah. Okay. Now you can also ask, 
will there be a change of the means? Yeah, that's what I was no, going to ask next. No, the means, the means, they, they are eternal means. But even in, even in um, heaven, when sin is done away with, wouldn't that say the means would maybe have to change then? Well, you, you the means have done their work, so you, you wouldn't need any more means because okay. the means have done their work. They have produced uh, children for the kingdom of Elohim. Okay. Those who have walked under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who have walked correctly. Okay. Now, would it change the means? No. What 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 does that mean? That means that when you get to the eternal city, mm-hmm. what's going to happen is is that El Spirit would still be with him, because remember, in order for us to re- get redemption on this earth, we needed two things: we needed the blood of the Son and the spirit of the father. This is why Yeshua told him, you know, to wait for the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit, when he's come from the father, he would help take the, 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 the life of Yeshua. See, when you talk about the blood of Yeshua, what are you talking about? You're talking about his life. And the Holy Spirit would take that life of Yeshua and interwove it into our lives. Uh-huh. And once he does that, then he going to make us permanent for the kingdom of Elohim. Oh. So the means not only saved us, uh-huh. But they would keep us safe okay. in the new kingdom to come. So nothing would change. It would just only strengthen us to be able to be fortified, to have the truth of Elohim eternally within us. Okay. Well, Pastor, can you take us to the throne in prayer as we get ready to close out this podcast mm-hmm. for this week? Okay. I love and Father, again, we thank you for the time that we've been able to dialogue with your word. And as we continue our series of the destiny of disobedience, we can be able to see the trend of your people down through the ages that we may align ourselves with the true obedience that is needed in order for us to be your true children. And as we continue to talk about it, O Heavenly Father, that we may be able to discuss the issues that is pertinent to each one of our hearts, that we may get a clarification of the truth that we have so long been engaged in that we may have a clarification of the things, Lord, that we teach, that we may not just take for granted that we know the simple things of your word, but to continue to look at it and explore it and to make sure that we're standing upon the platform of truth, that when we teach it to others, we are standing upon sure ground. Thank you, Lord, for answered prayers that we have prayed to you for loved ones and relatives that you have answered, and we just give you thanks. Now, Father, as we move forth in the Sabbath, May the Sabbath continue to give us the blessings, Lord, that can refresh us, renew us, and revitalize us for a new week that is ahead. And as we look forward to the Feast of Trumpets coming, oh, Heavenly Father, on the 28th, this Wednesday, from 1 o'clock and also at 7 o'clock, that we can talk about the Feast of Trumpets, oh, Heavenly Father, and the significance that it has with your people. So until we meet again, we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit may continue to guide and direct us. And we give your name the praise, the honor, and the glory, majesty, dominion, power, and all of the thanks for your wonderful blessings. And Yeshua the Messiah, and in his name we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. We want to remind you again, come celebrate with us on Wednesday, September the 28th. That's this Wednesday coming up, September the 28th at 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. as we celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. One more time, Wednesday, this Wednesday, 
September the 28th at 1 and 7 p.m. Come celebrate the Feast of Trumpets with us. And in a few weeks, we'll be celebrating the Day of Atonement, October the 7th, and Feast of Tabernacles on October the 12th and October the 19th. We will be posting the time soon. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. O ye seed of Yasharel, his servant, ye children of Yaakov, his chosen ones. He is Yahuwah Eloheinu, his judgments are in all the earth. Be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded unto a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom.